it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Rajkapalan, Peter V.S. Bolland, and Brian Gildenberg, Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG guys. Hey everyone, it's PVSB. Welcome to this very special edition of the CPG guys podcast, where we explore the omnichannel digital journey of brands and retailers as they seek to engage consumers. Uh, as, as in the past, we tend to love doing recap episodes following industry events. And we just had one in Las Vegas last week. It was grocery shopping. So here to help decompose everything that happened, all the good, the bad, and the ugly. First of all, for, for familiar voice to, I'm sure all of you, because you hear it at the beginning of every episode as part of our Fresh Four News segment. It's the founder and CEO of Loom Group, Andrea Lay. Hey, Andrea, how you doing? 
Hi, Peter. Thanks for having us. Oh, great, great to have you. And, and, uh, and of course, joining Andrea is a voice that is unfamiliar to our audience, but very familiar to Andrea because she's the VP of operations at a loom group. It is none other than Melissa Artivani. Melissa, how are you? Good. How are you? So good to be here. All right. So before we get going, I need dirt on Andrea. What do you got that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. We're not that kind of a podcast. We're not one of those podcasts. But if you have any, you can text it to me later. But in any event. Um, so Melissa and Andrea were in Las Vegas for the entirety of the grocery shop event. I didn't get down there until late Tuesday because I had a client event for my day job. Uh, out of town. So I missed a little bit about it. We'll talk about that FOMO moment. But what we wanted to do was since, um, and particularly Melissa had a great opportunity to sit on a lot of the sessions that I, uh, I didn't get to. And I know uh, uh, Andrea was, was busy doing a whole lot of meetings too. So uh, we'll, we'll lean heavy on, on Melissa to share with us some of the feedback from these sessions, but it was a really interesting event. And we wanted to share with you our perceptions uh, of it. So uh, that's what we're going to do today. It's going to be a little bit of a conversation, some musings, um, and hopefully some entertainment as we uh, as we go through all this. Sound good, ladies? Sounds great. All right. So let's start. Let's just get the FOMO out of the way. There were a lot of events going on adjacent to grocery shop. Certainly all the retail media networks were there throwing parties and all of the connected television platforms were there throwing parties and there were agencies doing that. But I don't know, uh, Andrea, what was the hottest ticket? What was the one party that everybody seemed to want to go to? Uh, and was was standing room only uh, and and at full capacity by the time it kicked off. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, of course, it was the happy hour that we co-hosted <laughs> with ourselves between CPG guys, Alum Group, and Packview. I mean, that was, of course, the best event of the whole show. I have to say, I. I, you know what? I wasn't even there. And all I know is I started seeing these pictures pop up and it was the who's who of CPG. Uh, and I was getting and I don't deny it. You know, I was getting major FOMO because it seemed like so many industry luminaries were there. But it was in all kidding, all kidding aside, it was it was kind of a fun event. Uh, you you guys tell me what you thought of it and and uh, and and how people were reacting to getting together. Yeah, I mean, well, for me, it was a super fun reunion with a lot of familiar faces, both folks, you know, from um, from my past and folks we've had a chance to work with over the years, but also a lot of folks who've participated in our alum group curriculum and have get, donated their time and given us interviews. Uh, so it was it was really great to see everyone, a good mix of industry veterans and clients and um, and a whole lot of a whole lot of um friendly faces. I particularly liked that we had the cardboard cutout made of your head, Peter, so that we could take pictures with you even when you weren't there. So that was, that was, that was a pro. Yeah. Somehow that I found that particular component to be somewhat lacking versus the real thing. But the, I think the proportion of the size of the head was right on, but you know, the character <laughs> aspect was, was a bit challenging. Melissa, what'd you think of the party? I thought it was, uh, there were a lot of people there. There were, and it was standing room only for sure. And it really did feel like a who's who. And it was a, oh, there's so-and-so, so-and-so. So it, you know, everybody, everyone was the, the celeb <laughs> pointing it. Oh, I know you, I know you. And what was great for me was probably half the room I'd met via zoom and had never seen in person. And so that was really exciting to uh, get a chance to chat and hear a little bit about what they were looking forward to with, with the conference. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I know that uh, one retail media network was hosting a party next door to us that started about an hour after ours. And I was starting to get messages the week before from them saying, hey, I hear you guys are having a party. Like, yeah, but you guys are too. Yeah, but ours doesn't start for an hour later. Can we come over and can we hang with you? Because we hear you, you know, that's where that's the place to be. So I thought that was kind of funny that people thought that we were the hottest ticket in town. It was it was nice to know that <laughs> it, it was nice to know that so many people 
that we respect in the industry industry respect us and decided that they wanted to make a show of all the choices they had. And from my understanding, they had quite a lot of choices. Yeah, I mean, that's always the big that's a big, always the big challenge with grocery shop and shop talk is there's just so many competing events kind of happening at the same time. It's really hard to hard to spread your time. And then um, you really go for it and you kind of come home exhausted. But it's it's worth it to see all those people. I think following our event, a fast follow awesome part of the show was Ashanti um, at the Mandalay Beach. We, Melissa and I had a chance to go to that and we were uh, we were spotted when they put us on the on the grocery shop yeah. LinkedIn <laughs> picture of us standing there. What a great story. Yeah, that was it was it was fascinating. I remember there was a lot of talk leading up to the announcement around Ashanti as who is it going to be? Um, that seemed to be a good choice. Everybody, everybody appreciated the music. It looked like they were having a good time out on the beach. I was only out there for about 45 minutes before my um, five days of travel finally caught up with me and I was going to pass <laughs> out. Um, so, but I did get, uh, I did get to see a lot of people. That was a lot of fun. So let's, I want to break down a couple things here. Um, I'd love to know how first and before we get into kind of the details, how you all prepared from the standpoint of both thinking about the, uh, the sessions you would attend and also the meetups, how you were going to leverage the meetups as a mechanism. Cause the meetups are something that they introduced to the, to the mass population or the mass attendees of, of shop talk earlier this year. And it seems, you know, it was something that they'd been using as the paid hosted meeting program for, for quite a number of years, but this is the first time it became a component of your registration for the end. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious how you guys uh, approach thinking about both what sessions you really wanted to hear from, and then what were the kind of people you wanted to talk to as part of the meetups? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll talk about the meetups. I did a number of those. Um, and then Melissa, maybe you want to talk about some of the uh, session, session planning, but, um, you know, it was, it was tough cause I really wanted to spread time between talking with, you know, reconnecting, having some sit down reconnection time with some of our clients, as well as meeting with, you know, potentially some new partners and prospects, um, with time spent talking with the service providers and the vendor community, because there's just so much happening in that space right now. There's, there's so much tech being built both in store and digital and there are so many solutions. And as we, you know, continue to work with, with clients, you know, we're definitely asked a lot about who we recommend and what we know about. And so staying current there is really important for us. So kind of balancing the time across all of those areas. We've been a little more focused on some digital trends and social commerce kind of in recent months. And so I was trying to meet with some providers that do some things in the social space. Um, and so I kind of use the meetups as like a little bit of everything and, and try to spend my time kind of across those, those three areas. Were you, were you pleased with the yield in terms of the matchups you received, the people that you got to meet from the double opt-in process? Were they, were, were, I was, I was not actually, I mean, they, they went through the process and said, select, you know, 40 or 50, um, folks that you want to meet with. I went in ahead and did that. And in other meetups, I've gotten a pretty good yield on it. It was interesting because they also then send you all the ones that want to meet with you. And so I accepted all of those, but only about half of them actually got scheduled. So that was a little disappointing that there were people that wanted to meet with us and that we wanted to meet with, but we they couldn't get those scheduled for some reason. And then I didn't end up with a full roster. So, and, and the way they run that is you don't kind of know till the last minute. And so then it was really hard to fill that time in a different way. So I think they're, they're, they have a little bit of work to do kind of on their matchmaking um, process, but it was a good opportunity to go through the uh, attendee list and really be thoughtful about um, who to meet with. I just kind of wish they'd released the schedule a little earlier so you could fill the time. Yeah, it gets, <laughs> it feels like it gets a little crazy there at the end as we're trying to make the final matches. And then you get a last minute email saying, Oh, there are a couple more opportunities. And I know a little crazy, right? That's, uh, I, yeah, I would generally say from my perspective, the yield was good, but it, I guess it all depends upon the types of people that you're looking to connect with. I think if you're a service provider and you're trying to find a brand, there are many more of the former than the latter. So you could, to some degree, be a little disappointed. Um, whereas if you are a uh, someone who's looking to talk to a service provider, it can be 
a really target rich environment because there's so many of them that are in attendance that you can probably get a good yield. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Melissa. So let's talk a little bit about the sessions and how you prepared first and foremost, just the caliber of speakers. What were your thoughts as you look through the agenda of the kinds of people that were going to be on stage speaking during, during the show? Sure. You know, the, the opening session with some of the grocery shop uh, leaders explaining what to expect, they made a point of noting that all of the speakers were VP level and above to really call out that uh experience and and potential value that you would be getting out of it. So that was interesting that they made a point of calling it out, number one, that you'd be able to hear from these these this level of of leader. Uh, additionally in in looking through it, I you know, I've tried to balance uh, what are some topics I'm interested in? Also, what are topics that I'm hearing clients or colleagues talk about, as well as who do I just want to hear from, just from a you know personal level? And I circled back with a lot of uh, co- clients and colleagues to see which sessions I could attend with them, because what I love best is hearing what other people's perspective are on the topics and the sessions. Um, or the panels. And and it was great. There were a ton more panels this year uh, than I recall. And so having that perspective and having, you know, or watching that dialogue was really interesting and valuable. Yeah, I would agree with you. The caliber was, as you said, it was VP and above. I think about the keynotes, the fact that Rodney McMullen, the CEO of Kroger, came and spoke in what is probably the final stages of closing the merger with Albertsons to talk about everything that was going on just as they completed the deal to sell about 400 of their stores to CNS wholesale to comply with whatever the, the, uh, the, the FTC was going to mandate. I thought JJ Fleeman from all Del Hayes who had been elevated to the CEO role from Peapod digital was a great, person on stage, but there were just so many, but there were really great speakers. Um, uh, I think about a lot of the people that you probably saw at that party. Uh, I know Viral Shaw was on stage, Sarabi Pokriel from, from uh, Church and Dwight, uh, AJ Sharma, our dear friend from Bear. It was just a really great group there. I never felt like uh, there weren't important thought leaders on stage for any of the sessions. I don't know what your thoughts were around that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I think that uh, there was some experimentation with different types of sessions where it could be an intro of one panel for 15 minutes that then would slide into another topic. And I think that that helped set some context for folks in understanding the whole story. So do you think if they'd had someone from Amazon on stage, they would have passed around a six pager to everybody in the audience? Probably them, read it first. Made them read that for the first yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah. So I think that could have been kind of, that would have been a very different kind of session. Absolutely. I don't know if people would have been accustomed to that. Right. I mean, if you'd worked at Amazon, yeah, you would. But uh, that's it. For those of you who don't know what an Amazon six pager is, I highly suggest you Google it. It is an interesting approach. Uh, and one of the primary reasons why they don't have PowerPoint internally at Amazon, but um, no PowerPoint, no, it's all six pages. No, all six pages. <laughs> but, I got really, really good at writing and editing those. I would say after after t- ten long years, <laughs> uh, it is a, it is absolutely a skill, but uh, it it has value uh, certainly as you prepare for doing all sorts of other strategic planning. Uh, but in any event. Yeah, I think that the sessions, I did like the mix of sessions. Um, what were, let's, let's kind of dig into some of the themes. So I'll throw it to you, Andrea. What were, what were, uh, I'll throw it to Andrea and then pass it to Melissa. What were, for, from your perspective, what were some of the themes that you heard spoken on stage and were the premise for a lot of the, um, uh, the sessions that, that the breakout sessions that were occurring? Yeah. Um, well, I think the biggest theme that I walked away with relative to last year and years prior, I felt like the last couple of years of grocery shop, it had swung pretty digitally focused. And a lot of the sessions were about how to engage the digital shopper and how to grow e-commerce and 
Um, and it was very digital. I think even earlier this year at, at Grosh, at Shop Talk and then at Grocery Shop last fall that we, we were starting to talk about, um, well, last fall was all about metaverse. And then this spring, it was about AI. I think what I saw this, this time around was that they'd sort of swung the pendulum back a little bit to be more balanced across, uh, you know, speakers and topics and sessions that were focused on brick and mortar and focused on digital commerce. And in listening to that session with um, Rodney McMullen from Kroger, one of the things I took away from that, he said something about, uh, I can't exactly remember what he said, but he was talking about how, you know, some t- the shoppers Omni and they're shopping in store and they're shopping online. And he had just kind of a, rela- a relaxed attitude about that relative to, I think, what we would have heard from grocers a year or two ago which would have been a little bit more, oh my gosh, they're all online and like it's not profitable and we have to figure it out or we have to figure out how to push them online because we think that's where they want to go or push them back to the store or doing all this like directing of traffic of the shopper. And I think what I heard this time was kind of like this attitude of, you know what, we're just going to sit back and let them shop where they want to shop and we're going to meet them where they're at. And I felt like that was kind of an overarching theme across at least the sessions I attended and in the conversations that I participated in as well as stuff that was happening out on the like trade show floor with some of the vendor community. It was this idea of like meeting the shopper where they're at and then wherever they're at, how do we reduce friction? So instead of trying to push the shopper to behave one way or another, let's just let them do what they're going to do and let's remove friction. And so there were all these things I felt like that were pretty focused on frictionless shopping experiences. So you know, everything from different ways to scan and check out from a technology perspective. You know, Rodney talked a lot about how, you know what, they're getting a lot of shoppers online. And so they're really focused on retail media. I think he shared that they had generated $2 billion of profit from retail media in his talk, which I thought was pretty incredible, that an incredible amount of money for being so early in the retail media game, but also I was just surprised they shared that, um, which was interesting. And uh, so kind of like, you know what, they're online, so we'll monetize that and we'll figure out how to, you know, give them some some personalized ads. And and then kind of looking at, again, on that frictionless experience, there's a lot of stuff on the in-store experience that was about, you know, digital um, price tags and, 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 on, and then on the brand side, some things around how do we make it easier for shoppers to shop social, you know, just like all these different points in the value chain of removing friction. And I, and I felt like that meeting that shopper and then kind of focusing on making it as friction-free of an experience as possible was, um, was something I took away from the show this year. If we extrapolate that, that $2 billion in profit, uh, to as a percentage of their overall profitability. I mean, they're not quite as contributing to the performance of their business as Amazon is. I mean, Am- if you look at how much money Amazon is making from from Amazon advertising, it, it's helping fund a lot of their growth opportunities. But they're moving in that direction. So I think that's really interesting. Melissa, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it, you know, in addition to focusing on the shopper and and hearing we're meeting them where they're at, we heard that a lot throughout the entire conference and a lot of the sessions. Uh, I also heard a lot, um, maybe not as direct, but a lot of discussion around org structure and build versus buy, and you know your mindset shift in terms of of how you're investing and considering investing equal amounts of or into your resources as your ideas. And uh, AJ Sharma had a, had a great quote also in one of the sessions, uh, the magic lies with mentoring and in, mentoring internal talent and cross pollination. And, and it's, you know, really up to uh, the e-com org to educate and inform the rest of the organization. And, and then additionally, like the sub point is around Uh, all of the data solutions or AI to help fill the gaps, whether that's short-term or long-term and, and having that as a consideration within your new world of an omni-channel org structure. Yeah, I I agree with you that, um, that organizational structure and organizational readiness more generally was of primary concern um, and that's a lot of, I mean, it's certainly what a lot of the focus at, at Loom Group is, right? To, to be able to think about how to, 
how to bring those skills to the broader organization so that uh, it's not necessarily just a center of excellence that keeps all of this knowledge, that it's it's to some degree built into the DNA of, of everyone who's in a sales and marketing role or, frankly, in a supply chain role, that they're all focused on understanding uh, all of these capabilities. Yeah, it's. Well, it's kind of, it's like a, it's like the other side of the connected commerce. So if you're meeting the shopper where they're at, and that means, you know, a lot of the time they're, they're shopping on digital, but more often than not, you know, 70, 80% of the time they're discovering on digital then. So that's the, like, that's the shopper facing part of it. But then there's this internal component for these brands as well, which is how do we, how do we execute on that? Like, how do we do that? And I think it was an interesting session, the session that we heard with AJ and I'm trying to remember who else was there. Um, there was, it was Damien. Yeah. Uh, Deepak. Yep. Yep. From Mars Wrigley. And they talked a lot about like how to execute in internally. And I thought AJ had some good points about like, you have to really be able to delineate between vanity projects and what actually moves the needle. Um, you know, because a digital, so, such an area of focus right now, but you need to really, you know, evaluate those um, project opportunities and how you're going to resource them. Um, Damien's talked a lot about process debt, which I thought was interesting. So like the old way of doing things versus moving into some of the new way. And then there was a question on that panel about the best structure from an org perspective. Um, And I think all of the panelists agreed that there was no ideal structure. It was more about having AJ said it's about clear priorities and flowing of resources and then making sure you have the enabling functions to support it. And they were all talking about how easy it is to get sidetracked by what's happening externally. And um, that you just have to really focus on those jobs to be done and not necessarily just on like the new hot thing. So that was a really good discussion, I think, from the brand's perspective of like internally, how are they getting behind, um, you know, the changing shopper? Because it's hard. Yeah, I thought uh, the comment around no ideal structure is quite relevant. If you were to ask our friend Brian Gildenberg, the only company that makes out from a massive reorganizational structure is the consultant who's facilitating it because they're making <laughs> a lot of money off it. He goes, it's much more important for people to understand what the process is and their role in it and much less about having having people change their hierarchical uh, organizational structure. Get people at the table invest them in understanding what the outcomes that the organization desires and then making sure everybody knows their roles and responsibilities and has the skill set to do it. That seems to be um, a fundamental premise. You know, there was the, the other one I want to talk about, and I'm surprised we haven't, we've gone this long without mentioning it is obviously AI, uh, artificial intelligent, most, most notably generative AI is being the most, the, the most talked about, uh, element because we've had artificial intelligence or, or for or otherwise known as machine learning for many, many years. And they, they, they machine learning re- is, is known for being able to execute at scale repetitive tasks in a very efficient manner. But generative AI, where we're talking about creating new content from existing content, we had on stage, there were, I think there were no fewer than three sessions that referenced AI in their, in their subject. I attended one. It was the one with our friend Sarabi from Church and Dwight and Viral Shaw from, from Nestle and the, 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 um, moderators from Deloitte. And he asked them, um, are you feeling pressure to do something in AI? And from which direction is it? And they both said very clearly, uh, no, it's my CEO. I am getting. I am getting viral. I think said I'm getting probably two emails a day, not just a week, but a day from my CEO with an article attached saying, are we doing something about this? Where are we on this? And it's a battle between being responsive to, to the urgency that, that is being expressed by your leadership and having the confidence to understand where uh, where we are in the maturity of this capability and h- how it can be applied and what tools there are to do it. That is the, that the message coming back uh, f- I heard from them was very early stage, 
lot of promise, not a lot of people out there with the skill set, not a lot of tools to do it. And so we're going to we're going to take it slow, regardless of the urgency that's being created by the press, by the leadership, by whatever. We're just not going to jump all in like a lot of companies did last year with the metaverse and look where that is. So so I think there are some interesting things. I'd sure love to hear your perceptions on how AI kind of played into either sessions or the general uh, uh, theme of what was going on at Grocery Shop. Sure, I can start. So in terms of AI uh, in discussions and conversations with brands and colleagues, I think a lot of them were really hungry for a tech or AI solution to solve a specific problem. However, their their hesitancy was that's just one more service provider I'm adding to my stack that I, that I have in order to grow my business. And you're right, it is a pressure of up above and what's in the marketplace and feeling that they have to participate but there still is a gap of how do I apply it to my business and have it be meaningful. There were a ton of AI uh, companies that were like driving that message on the floor, but I would say that they were solving tons of problems, not just like one universal problem. They all seem to be very specialized was my perception. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Andrea, what were your thoughts and your conversations? Because I'm sure it came up in quite a number with you. It did. I feel like one thing that I thought was interesting about the conversations about AI was that a lot of brands and service providers are just kind of finding small practical ways to use it, as opposed to, I think, when, you know, generative AI first became a part of all of our consciousness. We were like, this is going to transform all of our businesses and it's going to transform how retailers, you know, orient their websites and search and um, in, you know, chatbots with consumers and customer service and all these things. And it, and it will, I think over time. But I think what, what I saw this time around in conversations were more brands and vendors and retailers just uh, making small changes to their businesses to incorporate some form of generative AI and, and seeing really good results, you know, like using it on, um, you know, for, for content writing capabilities or for PDPs or using it, you know, to enhance their customer service chatbots or, um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, some of the, the brands using it for cop for copy as well. And, and, so I just saw kind of some small steps that were successful. And that was encouraging to me because I think if you looked back at the hype around the metaverse, you know, a year ago, I don't know that anyone made small steps that were, um, that had long-term impact <laughs> really. I did, or, not build, uh, I did not build a, a metaverse storefront for the CPT guys <laughs> at all, but I do use, I use chat GPT all the time. Uh, most notably for primers for questions that I can ask guests to come on the show. I mean, and you know what? I'll say, give me 30 questions and invariably I'll find four or five. And if that cuts down, because it has access to all sorts of language assets like interviews and other things with either the person I have coming on or their company. And they're pre- I, I learn about all sorts of things like lawsuits and other things that companies are involved in where I can weave those into my conversation that I might not have otherwise been aware of. So I think it helps. It, it I think you're right. The most interesting one that I saw uh, a thing that was said on stage about this was when Sarabi from Church and Dwight was describing how sh- how she was asked, how do you recommend people get knowledgeable? And she said, you know what I did? I just went and paid the couple hundred dollars and had MidJourney put on my desktop because I saw my kids playing around. And I just committed that I was going to take some time to learn how to do it. And making that a, a regular component, uh, I mean, what I do is I I set aside 
uh, an hour every Friday where I focus on taking LinkedIn uh, learning courses to teach myself and not for the purpose of putting badges or certification on my page. I love that. I think it's worthwhile. But for me to to personally learn and understand areas of that I find to be a little mystifying and and I and I find that that helps demystify it and I can talk a little bit more intelligently, but I think that was probably some of the best advice that I got from the show. Yeah, I was just spending some time interacting with some of the technology. Absolutely. I, I do yeah, want to mention really quickly something that kind of set the tone, especially on day two or day one, day two, was uh, the timing of Instacart going public, DoorDash Ooh, yeah. announcing they had broadened their grocery selection, and then uh, shipped, uh, launched uh, shipped media. And so it marketplaces it was, all over the all over the table. That's in. I, I think the marketplace model is really interesting. I was concerned if you'd asked me a year ago, I was a little concerned over the marketplaces. Pardon me, and where their future is, because I thought I saw the big guys kind of moving away from the marketplaces as demand aggregators and saying we want to focus on our own. Uh, direct consumer platforms rather than going through an aggregator. But I don't know. I think they still have, they still have a lot of miles left on those tires. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Still, still a lot of miles left on those tires. And and I agree. I was, I was le- a little bit less bullish on some of the, um, you know, uh, third party service provider delivery companies. I kind of thought, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said, oh, these retailers are all going to build their own and there's not going to be a need for this. But there really is a need for it for a plug and play solution. And I think the retailers are willing to give up a little bit of margin in order to have the incremental sales that they might get from um, being able to offer those services. And, you know, having the customer now start their journey on Instacart, like it's hard to say how much of that um, traffic is incremental or their sales are incremental. But I, those last mile providers, I think, have much um, more of a, a longer future and a bigger place in the ecosystem, I think, than I had originally thought. What are you thinking on that, Melissa? No, I would I would agree. I think that especially since some tried and true other companies like uh, Uber is expanding into grocery, I think that it's just going to uh, bring in maybe that new shopper that somebody already has a credit card with Uber. And so now they're going to shift their, their grocery pickup to Uber instead of Instacart or um, click and collect or something like that. Yeah. I had the pleasure during the show of recording an upcoming episode with Megan Ram from Uber advertising. And she talked about how their, uh, their their business around uh, both ride share and 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 meal ordering that how they drive the adoption of one of from one platform to the other and how powerful a mechanism that is and how they can use the data behind it to target advertising on behalf of brands. And another uh, theme that I saw, or or at least in a few sessions, was around developing loyalty. No one seems to have a silver bullet, but it's about testing and learning that loyalty. And with having something like a rideshare and, you know, meal delivery or grocery delivery, combining all of that just solidifies that relationship with the consumer. So that, that leads me to, um, there were two other topics that I heard much more this year than I did in past year. And I think the root cause of that is the underlying data asset. Uh, One of them is profitability. And the other one is, to your point around loyalty, customer lifetime value. Never have I heard before, particularly retailers with their data asset, be so frequently claiming that they are they, that the holy grail has been found that they have a mechanism to actually measure customer lifetime value and that everyone was talking more and more about creating pro, not just 
e-commerce baskets, but profitable baskets. What did you guys hear around these two themes? Yeah, I mean, I think the profitability topic, like it's, um, it's, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing conversation to kind of figure out how retailers can make, especially for grocery delivery profitable. Um, I think that there are more, I think it used to be a little bit more of a one side, one wins, the other loses conversation between the supplier and the manufacturer. So like, you know, Amazon wins and the manufacturer loses or whatever. Um, and I, I think that the, both parties are starting to get a lot more creative about how they solve the profitability, uh, problem. So, so I think that's on the profitability piece. I think on the, um, lifetime, lifetime value and looking at some of that, I think that, that, advertisers are just being forced to figure out how to look at that because now if you're spending so much on retail media and you know, we, we just did a, um, we just did a a trends report on this, you know, looking at the budget shifts from advertisers from traditional media to retail media and, and how much money is, is going into those retailer platforms, um, you know, and then it being very difficult to be able to say, Oh, well that, you know, because I ran an ad on Walmart, I drove a sale on Walmart or in-store at Walmart or at Kroger or like where, where we were trying to meet with the shopper where they're at. And so they could be anywhere and seeing the ad. And so I think looking a little bit like over a longer time period in terms of like engagement and loyalty with that shopper, um, like the advertisers just have to figure that out. Do, Do you think it's causing a fundamental paradigm shift in the relationship between brands and manufacturers? You know, for over a hundred years, it was the, the, uh, uh, between brands and retailers for over a hundred years, it was the retailer that wrote a check to the, to the brand to buy product. And so everything to, to some extent was driven by the, the prepos- uh, the proposition, the customer is always right. So they, they held the check, therefore they held the power. Now you've got the emergence of all these retail media networks that are trying to suck up the the space that's been left by the decline of print journal print media and and linear television and now they're the ones going and asking the manufacturers for dollars particularly budgets that that were traditionally held by the marketing components do you think that there's still a little bit of a culture shock for the for the retailers trying to trying to navigate in a world where they just kind of told the 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 brands what they wanted to do and now they're not really in a as much of a a position to do that anymore what do you what do you what is your sense from talking to people there about about how how retail media is penetrating beyond the trade so to speak in in terms of moving further up into the brand organizations yeah so the the data shows and we just um again did kind of a deep dive on this for a a client the data shows that outside of amazon and walmart most brands are funding the other channels through trade dollars because they're not really big enough to be considered media channels but it's not just that they're not big enough they don't have the right capabilities to be considered true media i mean amazon's the only one that has like a real media ecosystem like if you look at all the you know, offsite targeting capabilities and properties. And, you know, they're, they're actually building a media company. They have streaming content. You know, they are, they are a full fledged media company. It looks, you know, it looks a little bit different than some of the other, um, media options that an advertiser might have because there is like commerce in there as well. And it's a huge part of it. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they are, they are a media company. Walmart is becoming one. Uh, and we're seeing more and more brands be able to pull budgets from traditional marketing advertising to, to go in fund retail media on Walmart. But outside of that, like it's called retail media, but it's not really media. I mean, it's, it's, it's paid search on retailer platforms. It's mid to lower funnel kinds of, of search capabilities right now for the most part. It's basically just an, yeah, it's just an extension of some of the in-store activities that you would do. And now you're just doing them online. Like you could argue that, you know, running like a little search ad is kind of the equivalent of doing an end cap or something. So, uh, so I think that the other retailers have kind of had less success in tapping into those larger budgets and, and they don't also have the, 
the the reach that Amazon does. So so that so that's the question. Is it is it the what is more important in their inability to break through? Is it they don't have the reach or they don't have the capabilities or is it kind of both? That, that I think are, it's primarily reach, but I think it's both. So yeah. I mean, they just don't begs, have audiences. Do you think that begs for the likes of a bunch of the reach super regional players banding together and essentially forming a retail, is that a retail media network that, that matches the kind of reach that, and I, the, the one, the one that always comes to mind is we know that there's an informal sharing, uh, engagement going on between Wegmans, Meyer, Publix, and HEB because they don't overlap, but they do operate in terms of sharing knowledge. Do you, can you foresee a, a, an opportunity where like the four of those or some other conglomeration can get together and try and create a, a media network that, that rivals the likes of a Walmart or, or where Kroger is going to be when they have Albertsons or where Amazon is? Well, I mean, I guess you could look at like Critio or Citrus and say they're kind of doing that. They're, they're banding together the, together the tech, right? So they're, they're providing that service for the retailer and it's a consistent service and tech across all of them. I don't know that like an advertiser works. I don't know that they work with advertisers in that same kind of conglomerate way. So like, in, and if you're an advertiser, you can't just be like, okay, I'm going to invest with my Critio partners and do it all at once. I think you're still, you're still having to manage a lot of retail media networks. Um, but it, I guess on, on one hand, yeah, that seems like that would be smart uh, because it provides some efficiencies. And, and, but I think that if I were a small retailer, I don't know that I would want to participate because if you're, you're just going to get like a, a spread of, you know, if you're 10% of the sales for that whole set of retailers, you're going to get a smaller spend. Maybe you think you can do better negotiating on, on your own. So, so I think there's, there's some, um, I, I think the retailers might maybe be concerned that there'd be some missed opportunity there for them in their ab ability to negotiate separately. I mean, I think it's an interesting approach that when I think about Critio and Citrus ad in particular, the pro my challenge there is that they kind of have retailers in different formats that don't necessarily build out scale. They just build out um, channels and concentration in particular geographic areas. Maybe, I don't know, there, but I think there may be something, but I think it, it is, it is, a, it's a, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but if I were a small little regional retailer in an area of the country that say Kroger didn't have any stores in, would it be worth my while to approach Kroger and say, I just want to tack onto your platform and avail myself of, uh, I'll get more volume by being part of, part of you and giving you some coverage that you would like rather than try and build my own and drum up the kind of business that you have a better chance of getting. I think there's some, there's some merit there. There could be some merit. I also think, though, that the retailers, the smaller ones at least, are still um, using retail media as part of the entire negotiation with the with the brand. And so, like, I mean, I heard this great quote from Doug McMillan last year where he said, we don't want our retail media platform to feel like just a tax. But I would say a lot of brands that we work with think it's just a tax. It's not just a tax for Amazon because there's, you know, you have capabilities and reach. But I think for some of the other players, it feels like a tax. And and the retailers may be even only able to get it because they're saying, oh, well, you might, in order to have your your whole program this year and your end cap and all these things, you have to also make an investment in the retail media platform. So I think if you start disaggregating those conversations for the smaller retailers, I just worry about their effectiveness. There are arguably 600 retail media networks in the United States. I think if you were to ask advertisers, how many of them are not attacks? You could probably count them on two hands yeah. and probably have Maybe one, one hand. hand to one hand to spare. All right. So <laughs> let, let's go back to grocery shop. What, so you've been to a lot of conferences this year. Uh, Melissa, what did you like just at a higher level? What, what did you really like about grocery shop that you thought might have differentiated it from? any of the other events or conferences that you've probably gone to this year that, that you want to call out? 
Yeah, I, sure. I, I would call out the uh, amount of conversations around omnichannel, not just talking about digital and brick and mortar separate, but but what does it mean to be omnichannel? And uh, Jason Goldberg had a great discussion with Raquel Navarsky from General Mills, and and in this time of uh, constrained budgets and spending less on retail media and needing the need to be more profitable, taking the surgical approach into how you are uh, reaching the shopper and and thinking about you know what is the delivery method and in they may be looking at it online, but what they may even be ordering online, but are they picking it up and how do you how do you meet them there? And so to me, I, I really enjoyed a lot of the discussions and conversations around omnichannel. And I, I felt like that was different compared to some of the other conferences that I've been to this year. Andrea, your thoughts? I mean, I felt I went around and asked everyone that I talked to, I was like, what do you come here for? <laughs> like, what, you know, why are you here? What did you want to get out of, out of the session, out of the experience? And I would say like almost everyone said to connect with colleagues. And, and I think that that's like, we are in a relationship business. I mean, I think in the digital space, we, we do have a lot of, um, we have a lot of like new talent kind of coming and going a lot. And so, you know, relative to maybe some other industries, people don't stay in role as long or at companies as long. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still a relationship business and and we learn from one another. And, and I mean, that's what the whole conference was, was, I mean, it was in a structured way of like listening to the sessions and we're all learning from one another. But, <clears throat> but I think those connections with colleagues are so important. Um, a lot of the brands told me that they were there to learn, to talk to the vendor community and learn from the vendor community about what some of the trends that they're seeing um, and yeah, and, and learn from one another. Did, did you feel that there were more brands uh, this year than say at Shop Talk or even Grocery Shop last year? As a as a percentage of the you know the balance of the the attendees, um, I think relative to Shop Talk, yes, because I think in Shop Talk you get like you're just it's just a broader community of folks that care about commerce and retail, and so there are a lot of there are a lot of vendors and like tech providers, but there are also media companies, and you know there's a there are a lot of players in in that space. I think when you narrow it down to just grocery, you know you're you're getting a little bit of a um, it did seem like there were more brands, but I also felt feel like because it's a smaller conference, I just kept seeing a lot of brands over and over again. And I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to say. And then the way they did it this year where they split out the trade show floor into two rooms, I thought was kind of made it hard. Yeah, that was a little odd. Uh, I don't know if I were on, if I were a, uh, if I were investing in a trade show booth, which venue I would have preferred to have been in. One was near the meetups. The other one was near the stage sessions. Um, I can see value to both. Uh, but I thought that to your point, I thought that was very different. Um, anything you guys would recommend back to grocery shop to say, Hey, more of this or, you know, the kind of the stop, start, continue anything that you, you, you want to, you want to, if, if Sophie, I'm sure Sophie's probably listening to this episode, Sophie, you put on a great show. Congratulations to you and the team, but is there anything you would recommend to them? Stop, start, continue on the show for next year. I, I think for me, even if there was some structured group meetups, might have been helpful, maybe on a topic and brands could even brands, maybe not so providers, but brands could come learn from each other, commiserate. I think that, you know, we manufactured that throughout the day, but maybe meeting someone new and learning from each other in a more structured format could have, could have been good. Yeah, they had table talks, but I think those might have been only reserved for they brands were, and retailers. Right. So, uh, Sophie, maybe opening up table talks to like meetups uh, would be a really interesting way to facilitate some some uh, some group interaction. Andrea, anything from your perspective? 
Um, I mean, I think they did the best they could with the two trade show floor thing. I'm sure that was a restraint constraint of the venue and there was another conference there at the same time. So, but I think if you can get them all in one room, it just helps the buzz and the energy because, because both rooms, it, you know, just bifurcated the traffic. And so both rooms kind of felt a little bit dead on the energy front. So maybe if they can figure that out. Um, they had like some fun stuff this year. They had the bodega where you could go through and get all the merch and the free samples, um, which was kind of cool. And they were doing massages, which I don't remember from last year. So definitely keep, <laughs> keep the fun stuff. Yay on massages. Bring Yay on massages. Yeah. And, and they had it in a real, they had a really good system worked out over there, like with a waiting area and everything. Um, but I think all the more things they can do to make some, some fun throughout the day. I mean, it is fun. We're all connecting with colleagues and we're, um, you know, and we're listening to sessions and stuff. But when you go do some of those types of activities, you end up seated next to or talking to people that you would not normally self-select. And so I think, you know, gamifying some of the the show, I think, forces us to kind of um, reshuffle who we're talking to. All right. Here's the one thing I would ask them to fix. The way people are sorted in the app is by company, but by sponsorship level. So the vast majority of people are from a company that aren't sponsored. So to get to them on the app and to start viewing people, my, I think my finger wore out of swiping so many times on that app. That was a little... I, fu- Explain to me what the value proposition is. I don't even think that if I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm a level five sponsor that having all my people at the top of the list necessarily drives more engagement. I'd be curious. I'm sure Neil Agarwal, who's kind of the, the, in his group, uh, persona tech are the, the army behind the app. I I'd be curious to see, is there some value prop? Because from a user standpoint, I can't look at companies alphabetically. It's just kind of irritating. Yeah, I I think that the app needed a little bit of work. It was kind of hard to look at the schedule and, you know, we kept resetting you to the the first day, you know, even after you clicked into something that sort of drove me nuts. Um, But I think, you know, we just, it just, what we did is we just sat down and like put the actual sessions on our calendar and made sure we knew knew what was happening. I think that adding, you know, if there was a function to add to your Outlook calendar or a Google calendar, that would be great. But also a colleague had suggested within the name tags, having some kind of icon for this company is a brand, it's a retailer, it's a service provider, having something that was a little bit more obvious. Um, you know, it's great to, to say like, Oh, like I, I had people walking up saying, Hey, you know, what's a loom group, which was great. But I think also, you know, it, it just helps the conversation of like, Oh, what service is it? You know, that's yeah. Something. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah, that, that's a good ad. I like that, Melissa. Okay. Well, listen, ladies, I appreciate you taking time out of your week to recap what happened in Las Vegas. I don't know. I think there's only a handful of trade shows left this year. I know I've got advertising week coming up in mid-October, and the week after that is Amazon Unboxed, which is their Amazon advertising upfront New York City. That should be a big one. I just found out. I don't know if you knew this. There's a one-day Amazon Unboxed happening in November in London. That's not something no. that I had been aware of. I just found that out today. So I did not know uh, about that one. So now do I have to go across the pond? I don't know. I'm so I'm just. What am I going to do? But um, but other than <laughs> I know I know. Like I showed all of my badges. Like here, look at this. Look at all of my trade show badges. If you can't you can't see this on the screen, but I've literally got. Two dozen trade shows I've been to this year. I think I'm kind of worn out. Wow, Peter. I know. I'm, yeah, you, you're not messing around. No, no. But I've got two more this year and then a little bit of a respite until uh, until CES hits in January. And then, it, and then the, the craziness goes on. So um, I hope you guys, uh, thank you for joining us. I hope, uh, I hope you have a, uh, a great rest of, of the season. Now, Andrea, we'll always talk to you on fresh for every week, but Melissa, we were especially pleased to have you join us today and give us your perspective on, on grocery shops. So thank you both for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Peter. 
All right. And with that, I'm going to close out the episode. Uh, we are so greatly appreciative that you follow us. Uh, during Grocery Shop, I should make mention of the fact that the CPG guys surpassed 25,000 followers on LinkedIn. I am so absolutely amazed that so many of you trust us to educate and entertain you. Um, but we're looking to go for the next 25,000. So please tell your friends all about us. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, give us a rating, please, please, please. It helps feed the algorithm and makes people, makes our podcast more findable by people who are looking to talk, uh, looking to talk and learn about this wonderful industry. And so with that, I'll just say goodbye. And we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the CPG guys podcast. Goodbye. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.